0: Welcome to another uh, episode of the Paragon Sports Consulting Podcast. My name is Colby Drost. I'm the president and founder. Paragon Sports Consulting is a player advising firm uh, helping players of the ages of 14 to 20 navigate their path to college hockey. Today we have uh, Rob Hutchison, the head coach of uh, Skidmore College uh, in Saratoga Springs, New York. Rob played uh, high school hockey. He PG'd at Trinity Pauling. Played at Skidmore College and has come full circle uh, playing uh, coaching at Trinity Pauling for six years as the head coach and then returning to Skidmore uh, five years there and entering his sixth this fall. Uh, excited to have you on, Rob, to talk about Division three hockey, Skidmore program. Uh, how's it going in Saratoga? It's going,
1: it's going great. Thanks for uh, having me on here if, after hearing you list those rock stars who have, uh, you've talked to before me. Bit flattered. Uh, I'm not sure, quite sure where I fit in that mix, but uh, appreciate you, Thank yeah, on here and and having me on talking about
0: yeah. It's been awesome. Like and I, too, I, I one reason I want people to understand what Skidmore is all about, but the other piece to it is like I don't think people realize like how good. I, I think today people know more and more, but Division three hockey is really, really good, really competitive, and there's I think like LIU, popping up and people seeing like they've taken some really good D3 recruits because there are Division One players playing in Division III. Um, I mean, is there anything you could touch on on the general level or, or maybe what you hear people might kind of underestimate about Division Three?
1: Yeah, I think you nailed a little bit right there with the LIU thing because you think about the amount of guys playing hockey until they're 21 now. That number has grown so immensely and the reality of it is that the, the college hockey opportunities haven't um, kept pace. I mean, you've you've added maybe in the last 15 years, I believe Division One's gone from 58 to 60 ish, um, and Division Three's gone from uh, I think 74. Division Two and Division Three have gone from 74 to 92 next year with the addition of Acadia there. So the reality of it is, D3 hockey's grown. In terms of numbers, where D1 hasn't, so you have all these players, more guys than ever playing junior hockey, playing until they're 21, um, and you have really only the you know Division three opportunities that have kind of somewhat kept pace. So you're getting all these Division one caliber players who need homes, and for whatever reason they just you know they aren't given opportunities, they don't fit the bill, uh, you know for certain programs, and and that's where we kind of come in and try to find as many of those guys that are going to fit you know our culture and, and the school's culture and, you know, and, and bring them in. And, and, what that's done is it's, I tell you what, you know, division hockey from when I played maybe 15 ish years ago, you know, I, I don't think I'd, i crack a lineup. I mean, it's, it, it's, incredible. <laughs> These guys are, they're big, they're strong, they're prepared. They can skate, um, you know, and, and, and by the time they leave here at 24, they're just full full grown men who some of them will end up playing for a few, few more years. So, um, yeah, I think D three hockey. It's 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 a hidden gem, and you know there's a a ton of kind of hidden talent um, talent that kind of falls through the cracks at Division one guys or just talent. There's not enough room for at Division one level. Yeah, I,
0: I would I would agree with you. I mean, every year you see a guy and you're like, he's going to school X. It's a Division three program, and, and you're like, he could easily be playing at Division one X Y and Z. And I think. If you I think would be interesting too is just to kind of compare it. I think everyone knows that like division three has has that shortened season and things like that. Maybe touch on or outline some of the differences. You know, I know there's there's a bunch, but kind of the major ones where there's a difference from division one to three as far as the season, the game count, you know, playoffs, and maybe how that enhances the student athlete experience.
1: Yeah, I think if you read like the mission statement and obviously it's all about the student athlete and, you know, there's lots of debate and, you know, the NCAA's role and everything, but, um, for the most part, the division three, the difference is there's clear cut guidelines on, you know, student athlete that really protect that, uh, balance of student and athlete. And that means, you know, we don't start till a certain day. And usually it's the first or second week in October, you know, and, and there are some leagues that go a little later, but across the board, For the most part, October fifth, seventh, you know, we're able to get our hands on the guys and then uh, get on ice a week later. Get two exhibition games now and then play a 25-game season over a 19-week window, and that's kind of the the limitation there. Once the regular season and your tournaments done, um, how long you go can go beyond those 19 weeks, but typically, you know, your October to mid March, end of March, I believe is NCAA Frozen Four. Um, it's, that's your, that's your season. And outside of that, we typically can't have much interaction with the guys, especially not when it comes to hockey and strategizing and all that stuff. Um, whereas division one, you know, they're going to play their 35 game schedule ish. Um, you know, they're going to have maybe a little bit longer conference tournament, but, you know, they're going to have their hands on their guys for a period of time. And I'm not all that familiar with the, 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 Minor details sure. of exactly what they can do, but they can have their hands on them from when they get there. So we're talking about maybe 10 game difference, um, kind of a, a little bit more in the off season with hands-on stuff, but in terms of like seriousness and, and planning and preparation, there's really not a whole lot difference outside of, uh, you know, those details for the schedule.
0: Yeah, I think too. I mean, there's a lot of division three programs. I, I would hope most of them or all of them are running in like a division one program, which yeah. I know you do I mean, from working with you. Like it's, it's, it's all these jobs and these programs, like however you want to run it is what it's going to be. And, and I think, you know, part of that is obviously what you're doing. There's a coach and then bringing in the right guys. Um, and, and we'll get into that a little bit later on, but you know, even just moving into leagues, like the NEHC, the New England hockey conference, like Really good league. I mean, maybe talk about what types of teams are in there. Um, how many are? I think typically it's three or four are ranked every year by the end of the season. Um, yeah. Maybe just you know talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, I think in the last so the, the league's transition. I think my first year we changed the name from the ECAC East. This is five years ago into the New England Hockey Conference. And since then, um, we had two Division II schools, Saint Mike's and Saint A's. They've gone a separate direction. We added Hobart. Um, and we're adding Elmira next year to to have ten teams, and you know, top to bottom of the league is an absolute. Um, it's a grind. I mean, everybody's good, everybody's got players. You know, I I think if you look at uh, the top players of the last couple of years, you know, uh, um, Colin Larkin out of UMass Boston, he he plays in you know he signs an AHL East Coast deal. Um, Tom Auburn from Norwich, the goalie this past year, player of the year, signed a two year deal in the HL. Like those are the type of players who are, you know, uh, in our league, like these guys can play pro hockey and play it at a high clip. Um, So every night is a battle, you know, recruiting to keep up with that. But um, you got schools like Norwich who have won a whole bunch of championships, Hobart, who's new to the league, who's done really well, Babson, um, New England college, Castleton, you know, it's, and it's a variety of schools too. So it's, you yeah. know, similar, it's, it's very different than like a, a league like the NESCAC where you have kind of that academic component to it. And that's their niche. We have everything. We've got state schools, we've got private schools, we've got big, we've got small, we've got liberal arts, we've got, it's just really kind of a di- diverse group of schools. And within that it allows everyone to find their niche and recruit and, and get good players.
0: Yeah, and I think part of that, like, touching on it, I think that's what makes the LEAD really unique is they're all different, though the, the schools. But, you know, also, I mean, again, I know that when you pick a Division three program, you know, you want a good coach, good academics, good school where you want to live. But, I mean, even, like, the atmosphere, I think some people have this notion, like, you know, oh, I'm going to go play and we're not going to have that student body or, the, or that fan support. I mean, just even touch on the atmosphere. Like I know if you've been to a Norwich game, it's, it's basically like you're being maybe better than some programs, like a Division divisional program.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the reality of division three hockey is like, there's, I don't know, a handful of schools who are averaging over a thousand fans a game. Uh, but to me, that's not really what it's about. It's about the atmosphere creating for the student athlete. Right. So they're sure. smaller. So to say a thousand is is kind of misleading because some of the rinks we're in only seat two, three, 400 people. So if you get you know, your student body and you get the parents and you get the, the community in there, it's a nice little atmosphere. And I think the difference with Division One and, and our, guys, our guys are, there's really no carrot. Like these guys, most of them are playing pro hockey. Like they're, they're in school, they're, they have ambitions of maybe doing something other than hockey, but they're playing because they love the game. There's tremendous passion that comes out and the fans are the exact same way. Like there's division one schools in our area, there's pro hockey in our area, but these people, the community, the students, you know, they come to our games um, and they're not being forced to go to those games. It's something they really enjoy, they get really excited about. And I think that's what you get in D3 hockey, is people who are at the games for the really the right reasons, because they're really excited about um, being a part of something. And, and that's like the, that kind of holistic student athlete experience, but um, yeah, I mean, you, you talk about Norwich, like, you go up there, and their rink, their facility is beautiful, and, you know, it's it's one of those things where you go, and not everybody has that, but it's a pro atmosphere. You have, you know, your 2,000 fans, you've got people wearing jerseys, um, you know, and same goes for Utica and, and some other schools, you know, that we've competed against, and not everybody has that elite of an atmosphere, but there are some pretty special ones, and, you know, I think we're lucky here, we have um, some really good support, and, and we've kind of turned a nice corner where we, you know, we've started to bring a little more attention to the to the rink on game days, and you know our guys typically, um, you know, do a good job of kind of doing what they need to in the community to to get the fans out, which which is fun. Yeah, I think too, like and that,
0: and obviously facility trade if it's better, like you know whatever Norwich or Utica, but. I mean, you know, I guess my point too to that to add to it is is like Castleton. Like you know, look, they don't have the greatest rink. i I think, I'm, I'm, my, I'm my opinion. But they get fan support. I mean, they you show up and it's a great atmosphere. It's fun to play in and, and, and uh, you know, it's like all these other rinks in your league. I mean, like I said, UMass Boston, nice rink. Is it the greatest rink? No, but you go there and catch it on the right night. It's it's a pretty cool atmosphere. Yeah. Um, but I think too to kind of shift into more about Skidmore. I guess before we dive into. Uh, you know, coaching and, and recruiting and things like that. I mean, maybe just touch on Skidmore College. Like, I think one thing you hit on before I kind of let you roll with this is, like, I don't, I think what makes D3 hockey great is, like you said, a majority of the kids, look, they're there to play hockey and, and get a great education. But I think a majority of them know, like, their, their career is probably going to end there, right? Um, so, you know, they're competing probably really hard because that's they have their four years. So, God, you know, willing that they don't get hurt or anything like that. But, you know, obviously you're gonna have a lot of kids move on and do really great things in, in the community, and the world, you know, business, things like that. So tell us about Skidmore, the town, academics, and kind of where it's located and, and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, you've you've you spent a year here. You could probably answer that question as good as I could. But the uh, reality of it is, like, we have, we're really fortunate here. I mean, Skidmore is a great academic school. Um, and with that comes the, the challenge to, you know, with the admissions process on the front end, but on the tail end, you know, we're really lucky. Um, from a school standpoint with networking and placement and with our alumni networking just in hockey to have guys kind of all over the the us and really all over all over the world who have done really well for themselves um, that we can put these guys in touch with so um a big part of what we do is you know sell the academics i mean that's something that's really strong really important um you know and it's obviously something we want the. The student athlete to be prepared for too because it's not like you can just come here and go to class once a week and and succeed you, you gotta be serious and you gotta have a vision for your future and, and maybe that's play hockey beyond here for some time but at some point you're gonna get a job and you know you need to be prepared for for that um so that's that's kind of the first component you know campus is beautiful uh ranks three miles off campus olympic ice sheet we have kind of a twin facility there an nhl sheet an olympic sheet we're in the olympic sheet with our locker room space um and that's, that's pretty nice. And I think we're one of maybe three or four schools with a big sheet. So it provides a little bit of an advantage and, and it kind of dictates our mindset. Where we're on the road recruiting and what types of skill sets we're looking for. Um, and then the third component is location. I mean, Saratoga Springs, if you, you I know you've spent some time here, obviously, but if yep. you haven't and you're listening, it's, it's a fantastic place. I mean, it's, it's a small city, um, you know for myself coming from a small town like i'm not a big city guy so you get a little bit of the the restaurant scene the nightlife scene the music scene you know the shopping district and, and at the same time you have everything commercial within a mile so um you know i think kind of those three things tied in um you know that's kind of what our what our uh, our setup is and, and that's kind of how we discuss the the opportunities we can provide in terms of you are know, going to spend four years somewhere. Where do you want to be? And you know, it's it's nice to be able to to sell those things because we you know they're really it's not blowing smoke. It's it's really kind of something we know families and kids will enjoy.
0: Yeah, and I think for anyone listening to this, like obviously I, I you know, I worked with Rob his first year when I, when I really wanted a job and he hired me. But my 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 year of living there, like if Rob Hutchinson calls you and you're a Division three player like you'd be crazy not to look at Skidmore because of obviously the hockey program one is, is obviously very competitive these days and plays in a great league. But I mean, education wise, I mean, if you were to Skidmore and graduate, I mean, there's, there's a lot of avenues for you to pursue, but three, I did live in Saratoga Springs and and like you're saying, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, for, for a college kid, you have the on-campus experience and you've got the downtown of Saratoga Springs. Like you said, if you're into restaurants, there's obviously, you know, if you're of age, there's bars and, and places with drinks and things like that. Um, it, it, yeah, it is a great place. And, and even for parents to come visit and stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm sure every time you guys have parents come up to watch their kids play, they love spending a weekend up there, you know, unless it's freezing, but even then they probably still love it. Um, so, you know, moving into like, uh, you know, coaching and stuff like that, I mean, I guess, you know, what's really unique about your background is you kind of come full circle, even with Trinity Pauling and stuff, and maybe touch on, like, you know, how you got into coaching, um, you know, uh, your time at Trinity Pauling, and then obviously going to Skidmore, kind of how you, maybe you've, a couple of things that you feel like you've developed yourself, you know, or what you've learned, and I'm sure a lot of stuff, you know, like I talked to, to a junior coach yesterday, like, a lot of stuff's trial and error, so I understand that, but just kind of, you know, kind of that, how it's come full circle for you.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I've never, I don't know how I say this, I've never really had like that that hard plan. Um, I I think subconsciously I was kind of pushed into the coach's minds at a young age. My, my grandfather was kind of one of those, you know, legendary local Central New York had football coaches for, you know, a couple decades. So I kind of grew up around that. And my dad took on, um, you know, popular football programs and things like that. And so it's kind of around it you know, but never really thought too much about it. Didn't grow up thinking I was going to be a coach. Um, Ended up at Trinity Pauling. came to Skidmore. Just so happens that when, you know, when my career at Skidmore was wrapping up, Brian Foster was head coach at, uh, at uh, Trinity Pauling. You know, we got, we got chatting a little bit and he had an opportunity and and presented me with one at um, Trinity Pauling to teach and coach. And, you know, I was young, 23 and I was kind of like, okay, this sounds like I, I could really get into this. And at the time I, you know, I had, some direction, but you're kind of just testing the water and some things and I took a chance on that and loved it. You know, loved teaching, love being in the prep school environment had been there. So it was familiar with a lot of people, but was young and made a ton of mistakes and feel really lucky that, you know, I was was kind of uh, looked after by Brian and, and, you know, he kind of stepped down as a head coach and we transitioned. Um, I think after a few years where I took over that program and he helped me out, he was my assistant. Um, he was also the athletic director so I kind of helped to have the assistant coach be the athletic director but um you know he was great with you know he's give me some guidance and, and let me fail a little bit but let me learn and you know when, when Neil who had Neil Sinclair who had been at Skidmore and actually coached me for a couple of years um went up to Middlebury and you know I got a call from Skidmore and, and I think that was kind of the, the the real moment of like yeah I think this is this is the direction i want to go and I, you know i can't think of a better situation to take the next step so um that that's kind of how i came full circle um you know i, I think having been here the, the experience is no different skidmore's a f- phenomenal place it's just very different in both experiences both trinity pulling skidmore to go from you know student athlete to uh staff where you're you know, you're seeing things from a different side and, and you see all the good, the bad and everything in between. So that's kind of been a, a unique experience that I feel lucky to have.
0: Yeah, I think too, like, I mean, obviously you, you understand what the school is all about. I think it's a little different than just some, someone from the outside. And I think, I guess, how has that influenced the, the, the culture or your coaching philosophy? I guess like what's, if you had to put some general concepts together, just, you know, a potential recruit or someone interested in Skidmore, I guess, what's, what is Skidmore hockey look like to you? You know, obviously I know it can be dictated by recruiting classes and stuff, but I guess in general.
1: Yeah. Again, like, so I took over for Neil and Neil had done a really good job of building foundations for certain things that I probably wouldn't even know where to start. So I stepped into a good situation with that regard. And uh, for me, it was about, you know, the type of players and building you know the staff that we felt could get us to a a certain spots so obviously we brought you on did an unbelievable job recruiting for us that first year finding the right guys and and you know ever since then we we haven't looked back and um, I think when I think about Skidmore I mean we talk about it a ton with the guys it's just you know there you can come up with a laundry list of, of rules but we we don't and our our mindset is to get these guys thinking to, to not be the average and just be be great students be great people um, and be great teammates. And, you know, if you simplify their every day, which is, you know, tons of distractions and tons of things going on, and just think about being better than the average and, and, and excelling in every capacity in their lives, like, hopefully, um, you know, they just, little by little, just be, become better and better and, and start uh, showing the guys who come in after them what it takes to be, you know, a true student athlete and elite student athlete in you know, in our league and at Skidmore, so that's kind of been our our approach to things: is recruit great guys, uh, captains, and successful players, and from you know good programs, guys that um, coaches can't rave enough about. Um, but we've also taken chances on guys because we've you know we felt that we had the situation for them to succeed.
0: Yeah, I think part of that's just getting to know who you're bringing in, right? Like understanding and then. I mean, it's hard because, I mean, we'll talk about, like, roster size and stuff. But if you know what you're bringing in, then, I mean, obviously, you have 30 different guys, 27, whatever it is. Then you know how to coach them, you know, obviously, within the team function. But everyone's different. Like, you got to be able to know how to communicate with them so they, you can get the most out of them, I would think. But, I mean, touching on that, you know, bringing in guys and, and guys that you can take a chance on and guys that want to be there, you know, be it Skidmore. I mean, what does that roster size look like every year for someone who, who's not familiar with Division Three hockey? And you know, I know there's never guarantees, but you know, maybe touch on how you know there's also you could get cut in Division Three. I'm not saying it's skidmore that happens, but you know, there's no guarantee that you can you know be on a team for four years. Uh, even at Division One, that's not the case. But you know, I think roster sizes for some programs. I mean, can they eclipse thirty? Off from from my knowledge, or yeah, yeah, yeah. so.
1: Yeah, roster size-wise across the board, you're going to see an average somewhere between 27 and 28 any given year in Division III. I mean, we've we've been at 28, which is the number of stalls in our room, and we've been as small as 26 in my time here. And and you know the only difference there is, um, you know, sometimes you get the injury bug or sickness bug, and you know before you know it, you, you're you're down to one or two healthy scratches. But I think everybody fights that battle of you know what's your number, and You know, I think the average, you know, fairly agreed upon is is 27, 20. You will see some rosters over 30. I don't think there's a ton, but there are some, which means, you know, on a game day you can dress 6, 12, and 3, but you can dress one extra goalie or, or, sorry, one extra defenseman or forward now. So, I mean, 22 guys, you know, how many healthy scratches do you want He's healthy? And and that's the the conversation we have every year. You know, we don't – for us – as a program, we look at it like we want every guy. Um, we want to be excited about putting every guy in the lineup. So if we get to the point where the guy who's nine on the depth chart is a defenseman, he's in for whatever reason, we're excited about him being in the lineup. And it's not like we're taking a step back. It's, you know, this guy deserves it. He's going to help us, and he's got a role, and he knows that. You know, the hardest part, obviously, is managing healthy scratches. These guys are all familiar with the 60-game season. So, you know, it's it's all communication stuff. When you're playing 25 games, if you're in and out, you might only get 12, 13 games, and that's that's tough on a kid. And, and you don't want somebody to be satisfied with that, but it takes a lot of communication and a lot of kind of working through, you know, some adversity with each individual.
0: Yeah, maybe touch on that, like, good question that people always ask, and it's I think what's what good is unique, too, about but you guys is you've seen them both. But- Maybe touch on, like, the biggest adjustments. Like, yeah, you guys recruit, I think, a majority of 20-year-olds still coming out of junior, but, you know, you've also had prep kids come right in, you know, yeah. repeat. So they're 19, I think, as freshmen instead of 21. Like, maybe touch on the difference of adjustments. And, and obviously, you guys, I, I think, lean towards junior players. But, you know, maybe the things you see, I know you just mentioned, you know, it's hard for some kids to play 10 games or less in a year. But, you know, what do you see the biggest adjustment is on and off the ice, and I, even on campus?
1: Yeah, the well, there's there's benefits, and you can you can kind of go back and forth with both. The reality of it is, a 21 year old typically has played 100 to 150 more games than the 18 year old, right, or 19 year old coming out of prep. There's some fantama prep guy, I like coach in prep Like, I love prep hockey, and there's some phenomenal talent, Division One, Division Three guys who play in the NHL. Uh, the reality of it is, though, at 18, that guy, if he's if he's a D3, a, a, a good D3 player may not be as prepared and ready as the guy who's played 150 more games, you know, in the, in the BCHL or the North American league or the NCDC. And, you know, that kid who was at prep before he went to those leagues is now can step in and play in your top six or even play a fourth line role and, and understand, you know, the systems a little more and, and the physicality and the preparation. So, to me, it's just the readiness, and nobody wants to go anywhere and sit on the bench. So when we talk with we, – we watch a lot of prep hockey. Um, we talk with a lot of prep kids. We, you know, we have them on campus. And for me, it's – if if we have an opportunity, we'll take a prep guy. Um, you know, we have. But we have leaned more towards that junior guy because you, we have decided that we need more guys to step in and play um, impactful roles from the get-go. So there's very few prep guys who, if you're honest with them, you tell them flat out, like, you know, you're going to be low man, even though you're, you're going to be very good. And it's going to take a year or two for you to get that full 25 game slate. Um, you know, I think a lot more of those kids are deciding to go play a year, which, you know, it's kind of a unique within our sport, but, um, you know, we're, we're fine with that.
0: Yeah. it's, I, I mean, for the prep kid to round that one out, it's like, he's like if you go play junior you're only probably even if you're you max out of being a division three player like you're, you're improving probably your opportunities because there's some schools that won't even look at a prep kid right so you go you get better you play more hockey um, you're older you get bigger faster stronger you know for most cases but um, I mean what about on the ice like do, do those kids come in out of prep is it, is it a culture shock at times when they get on the ice with, with 20 23 year olds and you know, I don't maybe, think it's, it's sure. not like a
1: skill in a skating thing. It's, it's a consistency thing. Okay. It's an adversity thing, right? Most of these guys to play college hockey at any level, right from prep, you're probably a top line guy in prep or, or a top six guy and you're getting power play you're getting special teams to come from prep and, and get special teams and top line minutes in college hockey is very rare. I think more now than ever, it can happen for sure. But, um, that in itself is a challenge like, okay, you're not consistently gonna be getting top six minutes. You're not consistently gonna be you know, on a power play. That's something you're gonna have to work into. And, and for kids who have never been in that situation, that's tough. Um, but I, I think honestly, it's the it's a little bit of physicality. It's a preparation, but it's just, he's got, you play more games, you become more mature as a player. You, you handle the ebbs and flows of a game a little better. You understand systems better, you know, stick places, the details of the game. You know, are usually more advanced.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's a really good point. And we t- I talked about that with uh, Jason Fortier, like in his recruiting in junior, even. You know, he talks about wanting dreamers, guys that want to be the best. You know, be the guy that's putting up points. And the reality is, is not they're they're not all going to be that, right? So you got the guy to prep who put up 60 points, scored 30 goals. You know, you get to college, like for four years, you just you might not be the guy that can score 30 goals a year in college or whatever, 10 goals a year. You might have to you know, the guys that realize how to adapt and, and offer something else and, and fill the role that they may be given. And you're like, you said, consistent and reliable. They're probably earning more opportunity over the course of four seasons. Am I wrong or?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, talking to the prep guys.
0: Yeah. Prep guys or even, I mean, even junior guys, like a junior guy comes in and he, and he comes out of the NA or even NCPC. He had a 25 goal season. Like that doesn't mean he's going to be a goal scorer in college. Right. And, and if the the quicker they find, you know, or, or at least if you put them in a certain role and, and they at least just embrace it, it, it offers more to the team and, and gives them more opportunity. Cause you can say, Hey, he can play here. He can play there. You know, it gives you more potential opportunity to play and fill roles. Yeah. Would yeah, you agree would, or no? Yeah, go ahead.
1: I would agree hundred percent. I mean, the, I think one of the biggest mistakes guys make is coming in playing D3 hockey thinking like they're going to dominate right away. Because you, in that moment when you have that thought, you start losing kind of that passion to, and drive to get better and, and just challenge yourself and you become a little complacent, right? Like, oh, I, I should dominate. And we have these conversations with freshmen every year. Like they come in, they're a point-of-game guy for three years in junior. And you sit them down after, you know, December and they're just, they're struggling and they're fighting themselves and, and you say, what's wrong? Well, I should be producing more. And it's, well, you know, there's a process to this. You're going to be here four years, right? So let's rewind it. Let's simplify it. Let's get back to work. Let's stop thinking about, you know, your point production. Let's start putting you in situations where you're going to get better and, and develop over time. And that mindset, I mean, it's, what have you done for me lately? You know, it's media information. It's really hard, I think, for for everybody, including myself, to, to have that mindset, the process mindset. So I think that's the big kicker is like regardless of prepper or, or junior like there's going to be a four-year process and you have to be willing to evolve as a player maybe change your styles but a lot of that comes down to communication too you know with the players and you know from the staff and uh,
0: yeah and i think to round that out like just to hit on the level again one more time is is know what you're walking into and i think one other good example is like look you talked about Auburn at Norwich. You talked about uh, Larkin. I mean, there's other guys every year. I forget the defenseman who played at Endicott who signed an HL contract once he got yeah. the HL. But, I mean, even like, I think people, you know, because it gets lost in communication, but like Jack Billings was at Salve. He put up 29 points his freshman year, 45 his sophomore year, transferred to Niagara. Niagara's a great program. Jason Lambert's great coach. But... They they had a bunch, they had injuries this year, but he finished the, he led their team at points. Like that's a kid who was in division three hockey. He would have ended up, you know, putting up a ton of points and been a great division three player, but he easily stepped in and had no issue playing division one. So there's guys like that at the level. It's a very good level. I think that's yeah. kind of the point to all this, and um just just come in and take it day by day. I think moving into more of the recruiting and talking about players like like you guys, since you've taken over and, and since I've been there, I mean, we always talked about, you know, I even with Nate Bostick had on the Hockey Academy, like, if you do things the right way every year, your recruiting gets better, better, better. and you, You'll continue to see success over those years with player caliber and, and program and wins and all that stuff. I guess, what do you think has led to your, your guys' success? Is it, you know, obviously recruiting the right players, getting to know the old players? I guess, anything you could add with that?
1: Uh, I- I think all of it, I mean, and you learn from your mistakes, right? Like we've been here five years and we've made plenty of mistakes. And if you keep doing them, you know, the same thing over and over, you know, you're just not going to get better and evolve. So I think for us, it's, in D3, like you see a lot of coaching, uh, changes, you know, with assistance. Like I had you for a year and I had Mike Zanella for a year and I had Shane Talrico for two. Now I've got Mike Bergen and Paul Rodriguez. So you're, you're constantly, um, adapting to new staffs and finding new roles for these guys to be successful. So for us, it's kind of been always uh, evaluate everything and and nothing's off the table in a year. I mean, it's very much a round table. You know, we like to discuss all details of the program and and from what we were doing year one with you, you'd probably so you know, it, it was totally different five years ago from what it is now. Um, in a lot of ways it just simply because we've asked the question like is this right do we need to move forward do we need to change it so i think for us that's kind of been it um just evolving and, and changing and, and not being set in, in a fixed mindset that hey we got this figured out it's gonna it's gonna be perfect um you know and, and i think part of that just that the hockey world moves fast you know the recruiting hotbeds they change the leagues change the players change the rules change it's there's a lot to follow. And if you're doing the same thing every year, I, you know, other than maybe a few places who have found that niche to be successful, I think it's really hard.
0: Yeah. It's a constant grind. I mean, especially with the 20 year olds, like you're looking first off one is everybody wants all good 20 year olds to come to their programs. And then it's like, but then you still want guys that want to be there that, you know, are good guys or good players, good character, I guess too, like hitting on that, like, Know, touch on like how D3 recruiting is, is kind of a, it's, it's just as, I mean, aggressive as division one. I. I mean, as far as like you guys are getting guys, like, you, you know, since when I was there, we got guys a little bit from all over, but now that you guys are really competitive. I mean, you guys are getting guys from the BC, Alberta, NA, NCDC like touch on how like, I think people have this notion a little bit like, oh not division one. So I'll play division three, but I mean, you guys are still getting guys out from Alberta, BC that are putting up 60 points, 50, 40, whatever, you know, NCDC 50 point guys. I mean, touch on all, you know, the recruiting kind of how it spans across North America and and what that looks like. And even with admissions, you know, I know some, some programs can get a kid in in August, but you guys a little bit of a higher academic profile. I mean, maybe touch on that too.
1: Yeah. I mean, starting with um, like recruiting aspect, it's, it's, incredible the guys division one division three there's so many guys who are working so hard and you know have tremendous knowledge of the leagues and and where to go and when to be there um it's it, i don't think that there's a scenario we can just find a niche so for us it's been expand test the waters you know where have we been is there some, a reason we should be there talk to some division one guys you know see what they think pick brains and really kind of tweak it year to year. I mean, we've gone from, you know, I think with you, you're predominantly the NCDC in the Northeast region, in, in the EHL, um, to expanding to, you know, the the Alberta League and, and the North American League and, and guys from all over the place here. So um, it's – there's really no league that's not a D3 uh, recruited league. I mean, we, we've been everywhere, and we've seen, you know – schools from the Northeast in Saskatchewan. We've seen them in British Columbia. We've seen them everywhere. They're, guys are everywhere. So it's a matter of identifying the right players. And then, and then you talk about school profile and it's, I think this is the number one thing in terms of guys who are going through the process is just kind of educating yourself and your free time. And these guys all have free time sitting on buses and, you know, and hanging out to just check out the D1 versus D2, D3 landscape. I mean, you have 150 some odd schools. That's it. You want to play NCAA hockey. That's it. So immediately you can start, you know, checking some boxes and saying, okay, you know, I want business program in the Northeast. And all of a sudden you're down to 15 programs yeah. you know, in the division three level. And, and at the division one level, you know, obviously there's, it's a little bit different of a process with being recruited by them and, um, you know, scholarship money that's offered, you know, so that's taken off the table. You can, with minimal work, on the recruit side, narrow your list. And once that done is done, the admissions process needs to be like the next thing guys look at because we, we all the time, you know, our admissions deadline is January 15th. Now we have transfer deadline, it's after that. Um, but really it's, it's extremely challenging to get guys after that. So we're not one of those schools that can get students in June, July, August. And that's just the nature of the world we're in. But we get emails all the time during that time frame saying, Hey coach, can you take me? And, and we'd love to engage that conference. We just can't. So I think on the recruit side, doing the homework, narrowing your list, staying active, and engaged, it helps us out because we're really looking at this tremendous pool of players. You know, if we can find out if you're even interested in the in liberal arts education with a business program or Saratoga or Northeast right away, we, we pretty much can add you to our list or cross you off.
0: Yeah, and I and I think and this is coming from me and no disrespect to any other programs, but it's like what, when I'm talking to people or just trying to educate I'm like if you're a high academic student, you're in and, and you're a division three player, like the best schools that offer division three hockey would be the Nescax, Skidmore, and Babson. And and I and there might be one or two others that I'm forgetting, but you know, like throw your application in if if you're, you know, if they're talking to you, so at least it's an option. And and I and I think the toughest thing in division three hockey is there's no athletic scholarships and, and and the financial aid and merit piece is very different across the board with all these schools. Like, and, and it's not all equal. And I, and I think it's easy for, at least this is my opinion is it's easy to look at school. I can go there for 10,000. Um, but you know, there's, there's an investment there if, if you actually can get into one of these better academic schools where, you know, if, even if you have to pay a little more or take a loan out or something like that, it, it might pay off in the long run. And I think it's important to sit down and, and kind of make sure you're understanding what you're, what you're walking into. Obviously, if there's something other than academics and hockey, then, then that's one thing. But, you know, really understand the opportunity on the ice, in the classroom, all that stuff. Um, I think, too, like to hear from you, your perspective, I guess what would be one, I mean, any advice for kids that are going through, I know there's some kids that get 10, 15 phone calls from Division three programs. Mm-hmm. I mean, for a kid going through the recruiting process, he's 20 years old, you know, he's going to have to make a decision, you know, probably by March, April, you know, what were earlier, um, I mean, what kind of advice would you have?
1: Yeah, and, and all those kids probably have aspirations of, you know, playing division one hockey and, and most division one, division three schools will understand that and talk you through that, but then everybody will have their own philosophy and how they deal with that. But I think my, our, from a recruiting standpoint, you know, when Mike, Paul and I talk, it's, you know, just, we just want to have that conversation. Um, and I would say to any person who's possibly a D3 candidate, um, have that five-minute conversation or, or you know text conversation, whatever it is, because you never know what that's going to lead to. You may have ten Division One offers and something happens where you know within two months they're gone, and and or you're you know you, 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 for whatever reason you need to uh, change direction. So you, you're going to want options. You're going to need options, um, and I think for us it's just about taking the time. To, to chat with us for a couple of minutes, you know, and it's usually informal and it's usually just to get to know you. And after that five minute conversation, you know, there's, there's a real chance that we may say, you know what, we didn't get a great vibe. Um, you know, maybe we'll do a little more homework or maybe, you know, we're just going to go a different direction and we don't have another conversation. That's very realistic. But at the same time, you may say, holy cow, I really liked that culture. I really liked what he had to say. You know, it was just, I'm, I'm just going to keep them, you know, in, in, my, in the back of my mind, if, if things fall through and I end up, you know, going Division three
0: route. Yeah, and I think, I mean, one other thing, too, is is never mind, like, yeah, do, I mean, it's your life, it's your career, like, do the research, call, talk to the coach, and Ryan at Brooks Bandits, the head coach there, I mean, he even made a good point, it's like, return these, these coaches phone calls, even if you're not interested, and let them know, um, and maybe down the line, like maybe you're you're 19 years old and they're calling you, and then you're 20 year old year you turn into a Division One player, and that coach is a Division One assistant, and you just kind of rub them the wrong way. You just don't know where all these people are going to end up. It's a small world. Um, but I kind of kind of to bring this thing full circle before we kind of shut it down. Like I guess you know we I ask this to probably everyone that comes on here, but what what to you is the most rewarding aspect? Uh, you know, obviously you're dealing with college athletes, student athletes. I guess what, you know, obviously you guys are winning, you're you're helping guys with their life. I mean, as far as molding them a little bit while while you have time with them, I guess to you, what do you think is the most rewarding aspect of uh, coaching at Skidmore?
1: Um, There's a lot of things, but mainly having, having gone to Skidmore experienced it, like there's an intrinsic kind of uh, care for the, the school and the program just from having been through it that I feel lucky every day I go to work, I sit in the office, you know, I get a call from an alum who maybe I even played with and we can chat for 10, 15 minutes. And to me, that's the most rewarding. And now that we're starting to have our guys graduate, seeing them get accepted to grad school, seeing them get jobs, seeing them get pro opportunities, that stuff for me is, is just awesome. Um, You know, and, and I, you know, I look forward to the days when these guys are coming back and, you know, we then created kind of our own cycle of guys and, um, yeah, I, I think the end product of these guys is just having success in one capacity or another and seeing how, they, how much they grow. You know, we had our first group, our first recruiting class graduate this year, and, you know, these are guys that you recruited, and, you know, the conversations we were able to have with them, you know, the maturity from year one to year four, um, you know, with plenty of mistakes along the way, it's just awesome to see that development grow. Yeah,
0: it's awesome, and I think this was... I mean, even just seeing guys and being able to have them for four years and, and and build that relationship and and just see them, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs. I mean, there's there's kids that struggle in school and things like that. Um, and I think too, uh, just seeing the success the program's having. I mean, every, every year I follow it. I follow Division three hockey, but obviously, you know, working at Skidmore for years, seeing how you guys are are growing and, and competing and and you know, kind of where where it's come from even before you took over um it's it's been uh, really impressive to see so really appreciate you coming on rob and i mean i think if anyone listens to this, they're gonna get a lot out of it and understand division three and and the uh the path forward but i don't know if there's anything you want to add last word kind of before we close this thing down like i said i really appreciate it and uh can i give you the last word here
1: yeah no i i appreciate you having me on colby it's great to catch up and um i think you're doing some great stuff i love you know i love how really how honest you are and how much information you provide to these families and these kids i think that's the number one thing that can really help is just the honesty like you know they may not like the answer but at least they're going to get the answer that's that's yeah. and uh i think that's really important because there's a lot of people who probably will, will steer away from that um so appreciate having me on have a, have a great fourth my friend yeah. We'll talk <laughs> yeah.
0: Soon. yeah appreciate it rob we'll talk to you soon take care thanks for everyone listening this has been another episode of the paragon sports consulting podcast Uh, Please follow us uh, at our website, ParagonSportsConsulting.com. Again, that's ParagonSportsConsulting.com. Follow us across social media platforms at Paragon Athlete. That's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Paragon Athlete. And I'm excited for the guests to come and look forward to having you guys uh, listen here. Thanks. Have a great weekend.